on live business and buckets episode 109 on this beautiful Wednesday afternoon and uh I'm hyped up I got the Grizz gear just got it in the mail the throwback Grizz gear you gotta love it um uh, big moments I know we're MMA podcast now but uh college game day going to Bose Angeles aka Bozeman Montana uh, it's a big deal. They've been pushing for it for the past few years. I'm excited about it. Um, you know, I really wish it would have been last year in Missoula or next year in Missoula. But uh, fingers crossed the Grizzlies don't embarrass themselves on national TV. But either way, go Grizz. I'm ready to represent. Can't wait to see who the guest picker is. <clears throat> and one of the funniest things that I saw was a Pat McAfee video talking about I didn't even know there was a Montana State. I didn't know there was a Bobcat squad, but I'm about to go and learn. So uh, another point for the Grizz, I'll be posting memes uh, and stuff on my Instagram story all week. You got to love it. I'm going to a, a Grizz bar here in Phoenix. Uh, you know, I'm sure, I'm sure there's going to be a lot of chaos. So I, I, I'm just, you know, the Big Sky Conference, the Grizzlies, the Bobcats, props to you guys for making it happen. Uh, game day earlier this year was in Boone, North Carolina. Appalachian State's no longer an FCS school. They went to North Dakota State, so you would think that Montana would eventually be on the list. And it's getting done, so go Grizz, go! And, uh, you know, I'm all settled in Seattle, or in Phoenix, in the desert. Had my first real R&R weekend this weekend. Just put the feet up, watched UFC 281. And uh, I actually rewatched some of the major fights. Uh, watched back the Sean O'Malley Peter Yan fight. Watched back the Izzy fight and the Michael Chandler fight today. So I'm ready to digest all this great MMA action. But before we talk MMA, let's talk the one and only sponsor here at Business and Buckets, and that's Field Supplements. So, fellas, performance is at the top of the list in all categories of our lives. That's why you guys need counterattack from Field Supplements. Their advanced on-cycle and post-cycle standalone formula is much more than the average testosterone booster. Counterattack combats estrogen production, supports liver, kidney, and heart health, as well as boosts sex drive, energy levels, and lean muscle mass. Let's face it, we all want to feel like a young, energized version of ourselves, increase vitality inside, outside the gym with Counterattack. The missus will thank you guys for it. So head to fieldsupplements.com, not GNC, not Amazon, fieldsupplements.com, enter promotion code buckets for 15% off. Once again, promotion code buckets, B-U-C-K-E-T-S. And, uh, you know, I, I've been lifting uh, second week of jujitsu. I'm definitely feeling it, but field supplements, the only supplements your boys take in. So shout out Josh Morin and squad. But let's talk MMA. Some fights have been made official. Volkanovski, Islam, it's official. Perth, Australia, UFC 284. Um, there was some rumors that maybe the UFC would back off and not want to throw Islam to the Volkanovski train right away, build him up even more. But he's ready for it. So let's just make it happen. We will see how high level Islam is if we haven't seen enough already. Can't wait. And then, because of that, we now have the interim featherweight championship. 
and two guys that have deserved to fight for the title, um, you know, have quite the, the, the storied careers and are quite different fighters in their own rights. But we got Mr. Clean, a.k.a. Josh Emmett, taking on Yair Rodriguez for the interim title. Also, UFC 284 in Perth. So, Volkanovski becomes champ champ. Maybe he fights the winner. Um, you know, he loses. He'll probably fight the winner. Either way, all eyes will be on the featherweight division. UFC 284 down under. And then a veteran fight that I was super fired up about. We have Alexander Gustafson out in the fight against Ovince St. Peru OSP. So OSP is now going to square up against Felipe Lins, which is still going to be a scrap. That original bout would have been a fun legacy fight, though. So bummed to see that, you know, that that didn't quite play out. And then some guys, I you know, I, I like to say who I think should match up with who after after the weekend's cards. Two guys I've been calling their name because, you know, they're due to, to step in the octagon. We get Jimmy Crew, Alonzo Menafield, UFC 284 as well. So that card is starting to take form, and that's a banger as well. And obviously we'll break down the Dustin Poirier-Michael Chandler fight. But coming into press that week, he said that he legit was prepared, was weighing in for the Nate Diaz potential fight with all the craziness that happened in that 269 card. He had a private jet ready. He had, you know, stopped eating, was cutting weight, was prepared. What a trooper, what a stud. The diamond always coming through because I wasn't sure if that was just some BS media stories, some TMZ-like coverage or what the deal was, but the diamond was ready to show out. In other news um, around the MMA world, well, actually, one more fight has been booked, and it was booked quick. We get Chase Sherman, Waldo, Acosta, Cortez Acosta. So we'll talk about that as that will be happening this weekend. But um, brutal news from a UFC legend, MMA legend, Anthony Rumble Johnson passes away this, this I think, a couple days ago. He had been battling some illness. People had been aware of it. I saw that Corey Anderson was on the MMA hour today. He said that Anthony had talked to him recently. Um, I, you know, I haven't tuned into that yet. I would love to tune into that. But, you know, uh, uh, prayers, blessings to the to the Johnson family, uh, a legend in the sport, and a guy that paved a, a path for a lot of other people. In the boxing world, we have Floyd Mayweather this past weekend beating Deji by TKO in the sixth round. And Deji was, I think, 25-some-odd pounds bigger than him in the weigh-ins. But Floyd Mayweather doing what Floyd does, uh, taking dubs and taking bread. In regular boxing, we get a legit uh, matchup that I will be tuning into. We get Earl, Earl Spence Jr. versus Keith Thurman. I've really enjoyed Spence and really enjoyed Thurman. So this should be a scrap and one that's worth tuning into in the boxing world. And, you know, the, the stuff that gets more headlines these days is the um, celebrity boxing. Jake Paul, Andrew Tate squaring up. This would be anyone who's a freaking, you know, fad person into internet vlogging, blogging, who's who, social media. Obviously, Tate being canceled lately. Lots of drama between him and the Paul brothers. Uh, originally, it was going to potentially be Logan, but he is squaring up against Jake, act, like, acting like it's happening. 
But then there was videos surfacing of Jake Paul at the Tommy Fury fight, falling asleep, calling him out. So we really have no idea what's going on. They're creating buzz. They're creating clicks. That's what they do. Um, but I'm sure everyone, including myself, will be intrigued to who Jake Paul fights next. But we don't just have UFC action this weekend. Bellator is back in action with a really, really good card this Friday. 6 p.m. Pacific, obviously Showtime pay-per-view in Chicago, happening in Chicago, Illinois. And um, I, I will say some of the probably the biggest fights you could book in Bellator are happening on this card. We have the much-anticipated Vadim Nemkov-Corey Anderson two-fight. Um, the first one, there wasn't a lot to take away from it as it was ruled a no contest due to an accidental clash, clash of heads. Um, nobody likes to see a fight end that way. So we get to see the real deal, two high-level fighters fighting for the Bellator title. I really don't know who I would take. I'd probably take Vadim. He's in his prime, although he hasn't fought the level of competition that Corey has throughout his MMA career. Still a legit um, uh, fighter that I, I'm sure we will see a lot more of and will re really could boost his name with a, a win like Corey Anderson. I think he's just better well-rounded, more durable. He, he hasn't taken as many shots. And then the Nurmagomedovs never go away. We have Patricky Pitbull taking on U Usman Nurmagomedov. And uh, that's going to be a clash, man. Uh, Patricky, veteran, been through it. Usman on a quick rise. I actually got to see him fight in Tacoma, Washington for the Bellator event there, my first Bellator event in person. And he's cleaning house. It was kind of controversial that he got this title fight so quick. But I um, assume he's going to get the dub. And I am assume he'll shut down the haters just like Islam did uh, recently. And then we have the undefeated Tamor Kaziriv in his Bellator debut taking on Daniel Wakel, the number seventh ranked fighter. So some other good fights besides the two final title fights on the main event as well. You know, great card. I'm excited. But let's talk the real business, UFC 281. I mean, golly, what a card. I remember about 3 p.m. Mountain Time, which I'm in now, uh, sitting in the TV, getting prepared for the prelims, and was just sucked in. There was so much action, so many high-quality fights, uh, one of the better cards to date. And it's always easy to say when you're you know, buzzing off of it a few hours after the event or a few days. Uh, but this legit had some of the best high-level MMA. I don't frequently go and re-watch the fights that quickly. Um, you know, I've been waiting to watch the Sean O'Malley one because I didn't buy the pay-per-view. I had to wait till it was available later. Um, but it, it was just such high-level fights that it, it's almost like art, and you had to re-watch it. Obviously, the drama between the main event, and we all knew the people's main event Chandler Poirier was going to be a scrap, and golly, did it deliver, man. So, uh, picks-wise, brutal night in the office, went 7-6, and six, barely over 500. I like to at least be, you know, 70% on my picks. Uh, but 7-6, and six, some fights that we didn't break down uh, that transpired pretty good. There was a nice win by Montel Jackson early. I thought he showed um, high-class MMA, well-rounded ability in that fight. And then Matt Frivola, the first-round knockout, great performance. Um, with a card like this, you'd almost just expect a ton of bonuses and a ton of um, 50K checks. 
and a guy like him getting it, and that didn't happen. But overall, there was seven first-round KOs, the most uh, first-round KOs in, in history, plus we then had more finishes in the main event. And um, even in the, the post-UFC um, presser with Dana, he said that MSG's, you know, they have the number one, number two events at MSG. This is number two, the Conor McGregor, um, Eddie Alvarez card was number one, that they want them there twice a year. But now they're trying to go internationally more. We don't have the COVID restrictions. There's just so many places to go. Uh, I don't know if that'll be a thing. But MSG delivers every time something about that arena just pulls it out of fighters. And I've never watched an event there, never been inside the arena. But going to Times Square, walking around MSG, I got thrills. There's just so much history. The building just vibrates fucking energy. And, and it brings it out of the fighters. And we got to see that this weekend. So let's break it down. We're going to start. I, I busted a... An underdog parlay pretty early here. We had City Kickboxing's Carlos Olberg with a first-round knockout over Nikolai Nigamaranu. And um, my whole thought was Nikolai's a more well-rounded fighter and as dangerous of a power striker that Olberg is, Nikolai's going to find a way to circle, keep his footwork going, you know, kind of weather the first-round storm. Have Olberg a little tired, wear him down, find a way to a decision victory, maybe a, a finish or submission. And uh, Olberg, you know, he's definitely looking like he's uh, improved his skill. He comes out with some massive, powerful leg kicks. Um, nice jab, lands a clean shot early, puts Nikolai to sleep, and that's that. And City Kickboxing is starting the day with some awesome momentum. And uh, there's a reason why he was the favorite. This guy has the potential to put anyone's lights out any given night. And, and, and he was feeling that power in MSG and set the tone for the night. Statistically, you know, this one didn't last very long. Uh, Carlos landed 14 total and significant strikes with the knockdown. And then Nikolai landed only two total and two significant strikes. Um, obviously, got a new microphone. Um, I've had the old swing arm set up. It was just what I thought made sense when I first started, but you, you have these weird angles, especially when I'm with guests and you can't quite be comfortable. Now I could like walk around. I could, I could strut with it. Right. I, I could get, I could get some emotion behind the mic. I could set it here. I, I could, you know, mess with it. I could adjust with my guests. I could do whatever I need. So, uh, excited to have a new microphone set up, cost a, a good amount of cheddar, but only the best for you guys. We're, 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 we're moving on up, right? So um, now that Olberg has the amazing knockout, he is on a three-fight winning streak. He's officially 4-1 and one in the UFC. And he's in a perfect, immaculate 3-0 in 2022. What a year for fucking the, I think it's a black jaguar, uh, Carlos Olberg. And for Nikolai, he had his impressive four-fight winning streak come to an end. He is 4-2 in the UFC, though, has fought some, some high-level prospects, has some good victories under his name, and I'm sure we'll see him back in here better than ever. What's next, though? These guys, you know, Carlos is in his prime. Nikolai's still young. There's a lot of fights ahead for them. And for Carlos, I wanted to see the banger of Alonzo Menafield when I had this prepared. That fight just got booked late last night, so that won't be the case. 
So actually, you know, let's take a little uh, a little live dive into this. Let's see UFC light heavyweight rankings. Let's see who's available. So Alonzo and um, Jim Crute, man, that's 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 definitely going to be a scrap worth tuning into. Uh, young old Jimmy Crute, he's been had some ups and downs, fought some tough lo- level competition early. For Olberg, let's say, well, Felipe Lins just got booked. Uh, you know, should he be in the top fifteen? There's a lot of people outside the top fifteen booked right now. How about the winner? Because he just fought Devin. Well, that's not until February. How about Tyson Pedro? Tyson Pedro, two wins in a row. Another guy on on a winning streak. But the problem, a fellow Aussie. Do we want an Aussie-Aussie showdown? I doubt that they would want that. But uh, there's not a lot of other guys that stick out right away uh, because there's so many fighters booked. You know, maybe Khalil Roundtree, but I feel like Khalil Roundtree needs to be fighting ranked opponents. Um, So he might have to let things shake out. If not, maybe that fight that I talked about um, uh, could be a possibility, but it's going to be tough. So uh, we'll see what happens. Excited to see the the next matchup for Olberg, though, because he came out with the smoke. Um, Then we have Nikolai. I think Ed Herman makes sense, and it's kind of the same situation for him. All the guys that he could really fight that's a little bit up or maybe the quality of opponents. You know, light heavyweight doesn't have 55 stacked guys in the divisions like middleweight, bantamweight, lightweight. It's more like 25 solid fighters and then 25 to the bottom of the rankings of active fighters is is pretty lackluster. So unless he wants to, you know, he he just took an L, a quick one. So I'm sure he's going to want to get that nasty taste out of his mouth, turn it around quickly, you know, fight Ed Herman. If not, you're going to have to let let the division shake itself out a little bit. Also in the early prelims, we had Michael Trezano with a first-round TKO over Sungwoo Choi. And uh, this is one of the dogs that I really liked, and boy, did he perform, put on a show. He's, he, you know, he, he's from the, the New York area, got to do it for the hometown. And this was a high-level match. I mean, both guys... I think there was a point where both guys landed left hooks and both sat each other down. I mean, obviously, Olberg started out with a great knockout, and this was pure chaos. Both guys were delivering. Choi's left hand is quick. It's powerful. But Trezano is well-rounded. He was able to mix things up. He really was able to to make this his fight. And, um, you know, I'm very impressed with what I saw. And again, this unlike the light heavyweight division, this division is deep. I mean, Choi is on a losing streak now, but he's still a tough guy. He's well rounded. He, you know, he's barely. These guys are thirty years thirty years old. They're barely in their fighting prime. So I'm excited to see what's next. But this was a great fight, um, and you know, just resembled the card. I mean, it was it was a high level fight, but the dog had to dig deep. The lone wolf Trezano got the fucking job done at the end of round one. Statistically, it took him 34 total and 32 significant strikes. He had two knockdowns compared to Choi's 26 total and significant with a knockdown of his own, and he was 0 for 1 in takedown, so pretty even amount of strikes. Uh, the difference was 
Uh, Trezano got the knockdown later in the round that ended up leading to the TKO victory. But um, very evenly fought. Both fighters, I you know, you you could watch a fight like this. Both guys barely entering their prime. One guy could easily be outclassed. I, I don't think that was the case here. It's just who really wanted it more. And Trezano just had a baby boy. He was hyped about uh, life, you know, being close to the to the area he's from at MSG, and and he put on a show. So so props to the the previous Ultimate Fighter champion. I think he needed a new contract too. This was the last fight on his contract. Perfect reasons to spread that underdog love. And uh, I didn't put money on him straight up. I put an underdog parlay and Ulbricht broke it. But either way, it feels good to pick the underdogs. Alrighty, so Trezano now starts a new winning streak. He's one and two this year in 2022. So he had three uh, fights this calendar year. Sungwoo starts a three-fight losing streak. Brutal. He hasn't won since June of 2021, but he's fought a lot of dogs, and again, he didn't get outclassed. He looked great, uh, got caught, got put in a bad position. I'm sure we will see him back in the UFC. What I would love to see is Trezano, Ricardo Ramos. That would be a fight for the fans. That would be another performance and uh, you know should be worthy of, of, of a good card. Then we have um, Sungwoo. I'd love to see him stay in the UFC. Again, he's in his prime. I know he's on a slide after three losses. You know, it might be close for the UFC. They got deep rosters, young talent always coming in, and, he, and coming in young, right? Um, but how about we put him in the octagon with uh, Herbert Burns? That would be a great scrap. That would be one I would love to see and uh, would be very intriguing. So either way, these guys grace the octagon. I'm bringing it up. We're breaking it down, and I can't wait to see what's next in their careers. Then we had the headliner of the early prelims. I mean, those fights, early prelims, if you didn't catch them, you have ESPN+. Plus. You bought the pay-per-view. If not, wait a couple weeks, watch them back. Those are high-quality fights. But we had Carolina Kowalsiewicz with unanimous decision over Silvana gomez Juarez. And the first thing everyone thinks about if you watched in this fight before the prelims started was uh, the craziness they had in the octagon. They were... Going to the scorecards, they were erasing things and rechanging the scorecards. It was a whole scene. It was very dramatic. I'm sure it was viral on social media. And everyone was kind of confused. And for me, I, I had a huge parlay with Carolina winning. Uh, so I, I was a little nervous uh, about what was on a, what was about to go down. I'm like, wait, are they changing? You know, are they completely changing who won? Are they just changing the numbers? Like, what the hell is going on here? And it took a solid five minutes, but... Really, this was about Carolina showing that improved fight uh, uh, fighter in her. She came in aggressive. You could tell that working with Ioana's really helped her. She was coming in with volume, and she really made this her pace, her fight, and she was able to get the job done. Statistically, she landed 90 total and 74 significant strikes. She did have two takedowns. She had a lot of control time, and um, I, I thought pretty easily was a unanimous decision, so... When it came to those scorecards, it definitely, you know, had some fire alarms going off. And for Silvana, she landed 79 total, 77 of those significant. So, you know, a lot of hard shots uh, on the scoring there. I don't think I remember seeing 77 significant, to be honest, out of those 79, maybe 50 significant. That seems like a very high number, but, you know, the stats are can be misleading sometimes. 
So Carolina extends her winning streak to two all this year in 2022. And that's after a, a brutal five-fight losing streak. She talked about reinventing herself, finding the love and passion for the sport again. She's fired up and she's looking good while doing it. Silvana starts a new losing streak now. She is one and three in the UFC. Tough break coming into the UFC. Um, but what's next for these women? I think for Carolina, Kanako Murata would be a great matchup. Someone she could do early next year if she wants to keep being active because she, she's re-loving the sport so much. And for Silvana, Diana Belbita, that would be the match to make. Uh, but great showing by Carolina. She's on a roll again. Now just starting the prelims, and I'm already fired up at this point. We had Andre Petrosky with unanimous decision over Wellington Terman, and I ended up picking Wellington. I didn't bet on him, but I, I thought pretty confidently of him as, a, as an underdog. Petrosky, we know. He's a great MMA rappler. He's a great wrestler. Uh, Terman's long, lanky. He has you know a good ability to, to um, defend the takedowns. He's a great striker. He's well-rounded, good BJJ. And we got to see this fight go everywhere. I mean, when it was a striking battle, Terman was piecing Andre up. He got hit with a hard one in round one. In round two, he went straight for the takedowns, was trying to smother Terman. And Terman was fighting, you know. He he wasn't the guy that's not comfortable on his back, didn't really know what to do. He was putting up nice uh, submissions in his guard. He was finding some big shots on bottom at some points. Uh, but Petrosky was just relentless with those takedowns. Every time he got up, he took him back down. And by round three, you could see it was just, you know, getting to Wellington's head. He's still young, uh, you know, although he has a lot of MMA experience and UFC experience. It's not fun just to get grappled all the time, especially when you know you're the better striker. And um, it, it wore out of that stamina tank, you know, emptied that gas tank, and, and Petrosky got the win. When we look at the stats, Petrosky landed 58 total and 42 of those significant. He had eight takedowns and 11 attempts, so pretty high volume percentage there, or takedown percentage. And he did have two submission attempts. Meanwhile, Wellington had 71 total, and a lot of that came from round one where he pieced him up. And 41 of those 71 significant and a takedown of his own in three attempts, and he had a submission attempt. So Andre is on a four-fight winning streak. He's 2-0 this year. He's 4-0 since um, becoming a, a rostered UFC fighter. And for Wellington, his two-fight winning streak comes to an end. He does start a new losing streak. He's 3-4 in the UFC. So what's next? I mean, for Andre, I think put him in there with Jacob Malkoon, right? We will see who the better MMA grappler is, who the all-around fighter is. Malkoon's a dog. He's been through some, some battles, and, and he's impro improved his striking throughout the year. And Petrosky's feeling himself. He was very confident in this fight, although he was getting pieced up on his feet. He acted like he just completely dominated Wellington, which, I mean, debatable, I guess. But, you know, Wellington hung in there. And uh, for as young of a fighter that Wellington is, you know, Petrosky's acting like he's so good. He's calling out Bo Nickel, calling out all these high-level fighters. He wants to be on people's radar now that, he, you know, he hasn't tasted defeat in a while. I don't think he's that skillful. I think Bo Nickel would wax him. Um, and Jacob Malkoon would be one hell of a fight. So, so make it happen. And for Wellington, Mark Andre Baralt, that would be a smasher. Let's make it happen. And then, uh, the woman of the evening. I mean, uh, really that's what it comes down to. Aaron motherfucking Blanchfield with a first round submission 
via Kimura over Molly McCann. And I was riding high with Molly in a lot of fun parlays because she was plus 320. I mean, we know Erin is a stud. I didn't think she could hang with the striking of Molly, and she didn't really let it go there. I mean, obviously. And, uh, you know, there's a chance that Molly could knock somebody out any given night. And at the plus 320 odds, I was all for it. Well, Aaron completely dominated the meatball and literally took all that fire behind the meatball and put it out. Um, she had her in a crucifix for a long time, piecing her up. She was able to do anything she wanted with Molly on the ground, and Molly looked lost. She was just, you know, doing one of those, like, moving her shoulders, moving her hips, trying to do whatever she can to get Aaron off of her. But Aaron knows how to spread her weight on top. She's just really good at all these positions at such a young age. And the sky is the limit for her. When we look at the stats, Aaron landed 93 total, 23 significant strikes. She didn't have the takedown and two submission attempts. While Molly only landed seven total and significant. I mean, she was trying to defend, got taken down, got put in a crucifix. And it, it, it's if you're getting put in a crucifix, it's just a tough night in the office. That's complete domination. When I wrestled in high school, we used to have a couple moves. It's like, if you could pull that off, you're literally telling that fighter, I am dominating, or that wrestler, I am dominating you. And this is exactly what Aaron did. I'm putting you in the crucifix. I'm showing people I'm the real Dylan. I am not taking any damage. So the high, high, flying high level prospect, Aaron is on a seven fight winning streak. She's 4-0 and in the UFC. She moves up two spots in the rankings to number 10. While Molly... She has her three-fight winning streak come to an end. She finishes this calendar year 2-1. and one. What do we do with Aaron next? Nobody's going to want to fuck with Aaron Blanchfield. It could be you put her up against another veteran. It could be there, there's a lot of young women in this division that have a lot of potential, are improving drastically year by year, and aren't even in their like later 20s yet. How about someone, Macy Barber, maybe Casey O'Neill if she's ready to go early next year after that knee injury? Those are the ones that make sense to me. It's a little bit of a prospect showdown, but uh, Aaron's definitely younger than them, and she's proven with that win that she's ready for whoever. Um, you put her up against one of those other young prospects, there's still enough time for them to make another run, the loser. And to be honest, the winner of those fights, it's like, hey, we're, we're ready for a title shot. We're, we're right up in this bitch, so... Uh, Aaron Blanchfield with a showing and nobody is going to want to say her name guaranteed. Then we had the big dogs. Golly, man. Ryan Superman span with a first round knockout over Dominic Reyes. Another underdog taking some bread. Although I took Dominic Reyes, you know, just a quick review. I had Olberg took the L Trezano got the underdog win. Got Carolina, uh, took uh, Wellington, took the L there. Uh, took Molly, took the L there. Took Dominic Reyes as the favorite, took an L here. So, not a lot to say here. I mean, Ryan came out, controlled the fight, and just landed clean shots. I mean, the knockout shot crumpled Dominic. I mean, straight crumpled the guy, and it was barely anything more than a jab. He didn't even really turn around on it. It just went straight jab with a little bit of you know, twist on it. And that's all it took. That's the power Ryan possesses. He's a scary, scary man. And what's even better 
is in the uh, post-fight interview, he said that he's never hardly put a training camp together until this fight. He usually gets off the couch, puts in a couple of weeks of conditioning, then comes out. If this guy took the sport seriously with the just God-given ability, he can be a champion. And poor Dominic Reyes trying to make a comeback, got put in the octagon with this man. And do I want to say Dominic Reyes doesn't belong in the UFC? He, he's not a top 15 level fighter. I, I don't think that's the case whatsoever. Ryan could do this to anyone in the division, but he is really living off the coattails of that John Jones fight, right? Anyone who, who thinks Dominic Reyes, that's what you think are still thinking he, you know, he showed so much ability there. But again, was that the John Jones that was rolling into fights and not really putting in a training camp? So, uh, you know, the Dominic Reyes enigma is definitely very interesting. Uh, but that's a tough return fight. I knew it when it was booked. I said, geez, you get you, you get a Superman punch from, from the Span Man. Your lights are going out, and it didn't even take a full power shot. And it was early. Statistically, Dom landed only five total insignificant strikes. Ryan had eight total insignificant with that knockdown. He was 0 for 1 in takedown attempts. So Ryan, he's on a two-fight winning streak this year. He moves up two spots to number 10 in the rankings. Dom extends his losing streak to four. He hasn't won since October of 2019. That is a long time. He moves down five spots to number 12 in the rankings. And it's going to be hard to see what's next for him. Even Dana said, you know, we just got to see what he really wants to do. I think uh, if he is still in the UFC, he wants to have a comeback fight. I put up Felipe Lins. Felipe Lins just got booked. But someone, in, you know, a little bit further back, a winnable fight, uh, get that, you know, see if he could get some momentum going. If he can, it might be time to cut ways. I'm sure a lot of it's going to depend on contract. And you take a knockout like that after all these losses, like, is he still passionate? I know he traded, uh, switched gyms. He said he kind of cleaned out his circle, went through a lot of change. You do a lot of change. You don't see it in the results. Uh, you know, these guys don't get paid enough to really want to stick it out. So we'll see. We'll see what Dom wants to do. For Ryan, I think the loser of Megomed Ankalaev and Jan Blakovic, I think that's really the fight to make unless, you know, Anthony uh, Alexander Rakic has been hurt a lot. I have no idea what his time frame is. Some people are saying he could fight early next year, maybe late this year. You know, it's like, eh, I got to see it to believe it. But if 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 he could fight soon, Rakic, Span, golly, that's a fucking banger. That would be so much fun for fight fans. But it, it, you know, there's just too many things up in the air. Um, so, I, you know, ideally, I think you take the loser of Inkalaev, Jan Blakovic, because the winner is going to be right there for a title shot. Um, that puts you right up there. You win that fight. You're probably fighting for a title. Because that was a fucking show. And uh, and he's on a he's on a a momentum train full steam ahead. And then this guy, man, golly, this I already forgot about this. So this was so much fun. We had uh, Renato Moicano first round submission via rear naked choke over Brad Riddell. And uh, Moicano is the full fucking package, man. Um, Brad, it's tough for him in this division. He's usually the shorter fighter. He's my height, 5'7". I feel your pain, Brad. And uh, he's just getting outclassed on his feet. He's a high-level fighter. He's got good kickboxing. He's in the best gym with the best at the city kickboxing. And he's just fought deadly people that are on a momentum train. Jalen Turner, now Renato Moicano. Moicano 
you know, is back in the rankings where he deserves to be. I've always liked Moicano. But the best part is not only did he show he's the full package and have a amazing finish and victory here against his very solid Riddell. Um, the post-fight interview, man, he, he stole the mic. He put on a show. And I love that he was ta talking third person. He said, Renato Moicano wants money. Renato Moicano does this. He did this. He deserves this. Uh, I, I thought that shit was great. He really owned the moment until the main card. And, uh, you know, these guys, you have to make a brand for yourself. You have to own the mic. You have to do social media. You have to give your fans content because that's really what builds a big fan base. If you just don't say nothing and show up and fight, you might put on good shows that people forget about you because you might fight twice a year if you're really active, three, maybe four if you're, you're, you're knocking people out like Spin and not getting touched. But... Um, it's very interesting, and um, I thought he sold the show, and he, he probably won over a lot of fans. I've been a fan for a while. Let's see. We'll, we'll pull him up here. Um, because he suffered some losses after I really uh, really thought highly of him, and I was like, oh, man, like I hope he could figure it out. And he's right back in there. I mean, he's 33. He's right in his prime. I can't wait to watch the MMA Hour interview with him. I became a big fan um, once he lost to Jose Aldo. He had come on a train in 2018, you know, young young in the uh, uh, UFC. He had beat Cub Swanson, beat, uh, beat Calvin Cater, lost to Jose Aldo, lost to uh, the Korean Zombie, uh, beat Demir um, Hadzovic, lost to Rafael Faziv, beat Jai Herbert, Alexander Hernandez, lost to RDA, great fight, catchweight bout. I think it was short notice for him. And then uh, now has beat Brad Riddell. So uh, this this guy's a stud, man. He's just fought some high-level guys. Sometimes you come in the UFC, you take these fights, it's like you're taking some dogs. And uh, it's only going to be a learning experience if you're into it. You have a strong mentality. And, and I think Moicano is that kind of guy. Anyways, uh, Moicano landed 11 total, 10 significant strikes. He had that submission attempt and was 0 for 1 in takedown attempts. Brad landed 14 total and significant strikes. He was 0 for 1 in his own takedowns. So just went through the record, but uh, Renato starts a new winning streak. He's 2-1 this calendar year. He enters the rankings at number 13. And Brad is now on a brutal three-fight losing streak. He had posted an IG, um, I think Sunday or Monday, saying he's going to take some time off. He's not retiring, but he's stepping away for a while, getting some rest. He's taking a lot of fights, putting in a lot of work, probably you know, battled through some injuries. He's trying to get right, get mentally, and, and see what the path moving forward is, you know. Am I still passionate about this? Do I want to be a champion? All I can speak from is my experience, and confidence is king, especially in a combat sport. I was a lot better wrestler than what my record had shown because I was not mentally mature enough to, like, have confidence in myself. Um, I wasn't the most jacked dude. I wasn't the tallest dude. If I fought, wrestled someone taller than me or more buff in my mind, I was like, I'm probably going to lose. If you think you're going to lose, you're going to fucking lose. Um, you listen to the best of the best. They literally think they could beat anyone, anywhere, anytime. You have to. And they don't always just wake up feeling like that. It's a lot of work they're putting in. That's why you have sports psychologists. You are literally doing meditation. I can, I will. I'm the man. I'm going to be the champ. I'm going to wear it. You have to feed your subconscious that information. And I'm sure for Brad, it's just like, it's really getting difficult to try to convince himself of something different. So he's got to like be, come at peace, figure some shit out 
and see what's going on. But I do, you know, he's another guy. He, he is high level. He could compete in here, right? That's why he gets these big names all the time. And let's look. I mean, what is he, 35 maybe? He's, he's not that old yet. He's 31. He's only 31. He's just now in his prime. I hope we see him back. I hope Izzy, Dan Hooker, coaches, Eugene, they, 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 they get this guy right because he deserves to be here. and He's putting in the work. What's next, though? Brad, it's going to be a while. We're not even going to predict this. But Moicano, obviously there's not a lack of opponents. How about KGD, who just put on a show? Grant Dawson, Renato Moicano. Woo, that would be a ton of fun, and that would be a must-see bout for fight fans. Let's make it happen. And that was just the prelims. We still have the whole main card. I mean, what a fucking night in the office for Dana White and the UFC. You know, one day I'll make the big bucks, and I'll go to MSG, man. I'm going to be out there. I got to catch a card at MSG. Um, I've talked about it numerous times, but now that I'm older, UFC's become my favorite sport. Just the emotion, the thrill. You just know the background of these fighters. I think fighter stories are the, the, the best. Plus, they're regular human beings. They don't get paid millions and millions of dollars unless you're an Izzy, you know, unless you're a Conor McGregor. Uh, you have to get to the top of the top, and it's so hard to be there, let alone stay there. And um, it's just cool to know how battle-stricken, how tough, how much work they put in. It makes you really respect the sport. And watching it live, you know, people are paying a pretty penny to go there. It's always sold out. Uh, the IQ of the fight fans are there, and people's passionate. People just love that you're a fan. It's just a great fucking sport, man. And uh, if you want to get convinced, just come over and watch a fight with me. I'll get you hooked, man. I'll get you hooked. That's what happened to me. My best friend's stepdad used to fucking throw UFC parties, and it was, I don't even know, you know, one of the early Randy Couture, Chuck Liddell cards. They used to have cards once every three, four months, and they were completely stacked. And I got fucking hooked. I wanted to go there, wanted to see every fucking pay-per-view. And that that's, you know, my very young age of how I got into it. And I had just started wrestling, so it, it kind of made sense. And wrestling dominated the UFC those days. Now, you, unless you're wrestling and ground and pounding and throwing submissions like crazy, they don't give it a lot of credit, sadly. Doesn't sell tickets to these new woke fans, you know what I mean? Anyways, let's go to the main card. We had Dan Hooker with a second-round TKO over Claudio Puez. And this was really the only fight that wasn't a ton of fun. It was Puez trying to lock down Dan's legs, get a leg lock, get a knee bar. You know, he's doing Imanari rolls. He's just fucking flopping on the mat, putting his dick up in the air. Say, come on. And Dan's like, dude, I'm not having it. Dan had his nice long stance, piecing him up, leg kicks. Claudio did not deserve to be in there. And there was a lot of people taking Claudio. To me, that's dis-fucking-spect on Dan Hooker's name. I know Dan Hooker's taken some L's, but he's fought straight killers. He is a high-level MMA fighter, and he showed it in, in this fight, and he outclassed Claudio everywhere. I mean, it was getting so bad. I was like, dude, start docking this guy points. He's just fucking rolling around and doing nothing. Um, and uh, he's slick with it, though. The way he could cover ground on his, you know, the butt scoot over to grab someone's leg, the rolls, like it... I mean, he obviously puts in some work, but you can't just live and die off that. You can't have the biggest fight of your life and just dead fish out there. That's what happened. But I had Dan, um, you know, I, I, I was all for it. 
Dan landed 37 total and 29 significant strikes with a submission attempt and a knockdown. Compared to Claudio's five total and significant, he went 0 for 8 in submission attempts. So he barely threw anything. Um, excuse me. He had a submission attempt, 0 for 8 in takedowns. He tried to do a bunch of shit. It was just sloppy, man. Sloppy. And uh, Dan took it to him. Uh, Claudio knew he didn't deserve to be in there with him. Mental games, right? He tried to frustrate Dan to put him in a bad spot. That was his only prayer. Get him in a crazy fucking hill hook or knee bar. So Dan now is one and one this year. He moves up one spot in the rankings to number 11. Claudio has his five fight winning streak come to an end. He's one and one this year as well. How about this one? Golly, this would be a fucking scrap. Dan Hooker, Jalen Turner. That's a stylistic dream. Just think of the potential. Both long, lengthy, good everywhere. Great fucking jabs. Great leg kicks. Um, that, that, that's the fight to make. I really have no idea what the UFC, like if I'm the UFC, like what do I do with Dan now? He got to win over this guy. This guy dead fished. You know, he's, he's been hit or miss lately. He's confident. He's in his prime. He trains with the best. Do we throw him right up with another top guy like Jalen? Do we throw him up to a guy even higher than that that's going to be completely deadly? Or do we give him another fight, really build that confidence, then throw him in the deep end? So it'll be interesting to see what happens. But Jalen Turner, Dan Hooker, let's go. And for Claudio, I don't even want to talk about this guy. I I just hate seeing stuff like that. Uh, But Rafael Alves, that could be a fight that makes sense if you ask me. And this one is brutal to talk about, but we had Chris Gutierrez with a first round knockout over Frankie Edgar. And, you know, we won't talk about this too long. There wasn't a lot that happened, right? I mean, uh, Chris came in, I believe it was a knee that just completely shut Frankie down. And uh, it's just like, why did they give him this fight as his retirement fight? I thought it was winnable, more winnable than most people thought. Um, but you know, it's just like, once you take, dude, this guy has fought everybody. I'm a BJ Penn guy, BJ Penn, besides maybe, I don't even know, Matt Hughes, like the, you know, some of the OGs, BJ Penn is really what, what built my fandom in the UFC. And Frankie Edgar was fighting guys like that. He was fighting fucking killers and demolishing them off work ethic, grit, determination, Frankie fucking Edgar style. And he gets a retirement fight in MSG and we're giving him a guy that now is in the top 15 that was right there on a winning streak. I mean, it's, it's tough that this happened. It's tough that it went down like that. You know, Joe even, you know, wanted to give him a moment on the mic and props to you, Joe Rogan. Like, hey, you know, you, you took a fucking shot. Like, do we want to have any words right now? Like, you know, sometimes it's not good to have words right now. And Frankie's like, no, nope, we'll talk on the mic a little bit. And he's like, hey, my family's here. You know, that's brutal that they saw that. But he's got a good support system. He had a history, Hall of Fame career. He's going to be in a good place. Bravo, fucking Frankie. I hate that it went out like that. But in the MMA, it never ends the way you want it to. You just got to find the right time. And a lot of guys don't. A lot of guys that grew up in that original MMA, you know, they didn't come out MMA training. They came out, I'm a wrestler. I'm a jiu-jitsu artist. I'm a kickboxer. I'm a karate specialist, whatever it is. And I, I try to learn a little bit of something. My opponent's good at this. I try to negate that. And uh, they're just so tough nose because the way they grew up, you know, they're a little older than me. And the way we grew up, it's just different, man. It's different. If you grew up, you know. If you know, you know, right? 
I can't even say the shit that happened when we grew up because I'd probably get canceled. You know what I mean? That's the world we live in today. Shit was different. And these guys were different. And it's hard to just give up, say no, quit, not quit, retire, just want to be done with something that, that you've lived for your whole life and put so much work into. Um, sometimes you got to hear it from somebody else or you have to have a moment like that. But um, all props to you, Frankie. You took my man BJ Penn down. But you're the fucking man if, if you could embody anyone's work ethic or want to follow someone for something like that. He's your guy. Statistically, Chris, 10 total strikes, all significant. He had that knockdown. Frankie only had two total insignificant. So, Chris, he is now on an impressive seven-fight winning streak. He had a draw mixed in there, but we won't break his winning streak for that. He enters the rankings for the first time, I believe, at number 13. And Frankie obviously ends his Hall of Fame career on a three-fight losing streak. His last fight was August of 2020. So what's next? Give me a little bit of Davy Grant and Chris Gutierrez. That would be a banger. I'm all for it. Let's get this guy right back in the octagon quickly and see what he's made of um, because it seems like he's on a, uh, a good path. But this is a brutal division, and uh, there ain't no easy fights from here on out. Then the fucking people's main event, man. This, you get fights like this, and you just know there's going to be chaos. You just know they're going to be like fucking you know, badgers fighting to the death and beating people up. There's going to be blood. There's going to be chaos. The fans are going to go fucking nutty, and someone's going to do a little bit of too much risky shit that could put themselves in danger, and we want to know how that shakes out. But we had Dustin Poirier, the motherfucking diamond, with a third-round submission via rear naked choke over Michael Chandler and deservedly fight of the night. Man, I just watched this back literally about two hours ago. Woo-wee! I mean, D Dustin said it the best. I think this was in the post-fight press conference. He said, man, Chandler's explosive. We all know that. The guy, his explosive power... The way he closes distance, just that fucking, you know, if you were like, if you're a Dragon Ball Z fan, you had that power indicator. Like, he's a little guy, but golly, that fucking power is strong. And he just lets it rip. He, I don't think he could spell conserve energy. Two words, too big. Nope. I just fucking go. I keep it short and simple. That is Michael Chandler. And deservedly so. He was in Bellator for a while. He's fought a lot of fights. He's here to make money probably more than anything. Um, I'm sure he wanted to be a UFC champion at one time. And, you know, maybe you knock Dustin out in the first round. You have a chance at it. But those days are probably gone. And uh, it was just explosion. But Dustin said it the best. He said, if Michael had clean, straight shots, he probably would have finished me. But when Chandler comes, he doesn't throw little bitch-ass strikes. It's everything, but it's coming out. It's looping. Everything's looping. He's fucking looping out. He kicks out wide. Everything's wide. It's not fucking in there. So when you're guarding, you can see Dustin, but Dustin knows. He's been in five-round fucking wars with the best martial artists in the world, the best UFC fighters on the fucking planet Earth. And, and, and he's guarding, right? He's taking the shots, but when you put your arm or your hand, or something in between, no matter how hard they have, it's getting eaten up before it's fucking rocking you in the face. And Chandler had a lot of shots. I think one of the, the things that people mistake that aren't, you know, as educated fans, more of a casual fan, 
is because someone's throwing heat and it lands, they're like, oh, he's fucked up. But sometimes it might hit the shoulder, right? Like I rewatched the Sean O'Malley fight. Peter Jan landed a nice shot, but it hit him in the chest and it bounced the back. Does that hurt? Is that painful? I'm sure. But it's not the same as getting fucking hit in the head. When Diamond hit fucking uh, Michael, it was clean shots on the fucking chin, on the fucking eye. Like he had his face fucked up. And although he's not, you know, coming with everything he got, boom, he's, you know, he's rocking his ass. And it's just that clean, high-level boxing, that clean, high-level striking that Dustin has that gets him through, man. And uh, Michael put it all out there. He put it all out there. He came in like a fucking Tasmanian devil, and, and Diamond had to weather the storm. Round two, shit changed. Chandler got rocked early, right? He, he emptied the gas tank way too much in round one, and he went straight to the wrestling. He said, all right, I'm going straight to the wrestling. But again, Michael Chandler is just fucking all gas, no brakes. When he does his takedowns, it's like, blast double, pick him up, slam him. Imagine if he just doubled. How much energy did he burst to fucking pick him up, look like a highlight reel, slam his ass? You know, skipping ahead even to the third round, he picks Dustin up on him. He's like, yeah, look at fucking me. Puts him down. Dustin quickly sits out, gets his back, gets the, the body triangle in, chokes him out at night-night. That literally lost him the fight. But in round two, he went to the wrestling, and that's the path to victory. I don't know who Michael Chandler's coach is, and I'm not a coach. I'm not saying, but come on. If we wrestled a little bit, we controlled, we held down a little bit on the fucking extremeness, we could make it through rounds better. We could get some more victories. You know, we could put together some wins. We could make a run at the title. I don't know if it's ego. He could only go one speed. You know, what the specifics are. I love Chandler, a very great guy. Just, he seems like a guy I would love to hang out with. I, I would love to learn from and, you know, hear his, like, detailed story one day. And he didn't get a lot of credit. Just like me and a lot of people, you come from Bellator, just immediately go fuck yourself, right? You can't hang. Uh, there's a reason you were in Bellator so long, didn't want to come to the UFC. But he's taking the best names. He's put it all out there. He's a fucking fan favorite. Michael Chandler does anything, anywhere. I'm fucking tuning in. But he's so extreme, man. Dustin's calm, cool, collected. And yeah, he did have Dustin rocked a couple times. But he did too much, and it cost him the fight. And it cost him a lot of his fights since he's been in the UFC. If he just tamed it out a little bit, right? Instead of picking people up, just take them fucking down. You know, put your body weight on him. Make him fucking fill you for a little bit. Instead of throwing fucking insane punches, just cool it down a little bit. Maybe throw a little bit more. I mean, there's, there's, there's a lot of ways you could try to break this down. But it was a fight, and I fucking enjoyed every second of it. And I'm glad Dustin won. I had him picked. He's one of my favorite fighters these days. He's another great, you know, gentleman and a scholar. And he's just got cleaner boxing. That's really what it came down to. Dustin said it himself. If Michael... You know, in, in those certain points of that fight, you know, round three before he picked him up and round two, just came at him straight. When Dustin had his guard in, you land a couple through. That's the difference. But those wide shots, he's hitting shoulders, he's hitting hands, he's hitting elbows. You know, he, he's bracing a little bit some of that impact. And uh, just because a fighter throws with a lot of power doesn't always mean it hits. I watched it back. He missed a lot of shots you might think in real-time speed that he hit. He missed a lot, you know, barely over the head. Barely under the chin, just a lot of those those situations. Um, but Dustin, stats wise, he landed sixty three total and thirty eight significant strikes. He had two submission attempts compared to Michael's sixty five total, forty three of those significant. He did have three takedowns and seven attempts, and 
Dustin did really good through him that second. You know, he, he had a lot of control time, but Dustin's been in there with some grapplers before, and, and, and he's weathered the storm. Uh, but again, I just think the energy conservation from, from Michael cost him the fight. So Dustin, he starts a new winning streak. He is 3-1 and one since 2021. He stays at number two in the rankings. Michael does start another lo- losing streak. Since entering the UFC, he's 2-3, and three, and he stays at number five in the rankings. You can't knock him for losing to the number two fighter and almost you know, had a finish. But there's been a lot of fights lately, high-level fights like this, right at the fucking saved by the bell, man, right? Round one, Dustin had Michael rocked. He hit that uppercut, and he's... Three more seconds, one more shot, it's done. And, and, and we'll, we'll talk about that more later. But uh, it, it's just crazy how that shit works sometimes. Um, for, for Dustin's next fight, the, really the only thing that makes sense to me is a top contender in the division. And, you know, he's fought a lot of these guys. I would have to say Benil Dariush, the winner gets a title shot. If for some reason that doesn't come to fruition or, or Benil gets another opportunity because he deserves to fight for the title just as much as Dustin. He's been waiting. He's gotten great victories. How about Rafael Fazeev? Either way, those two styles with Dustin Poirier is another people's fucking main event. The lightweight division, anyone in the top 10 is must fucking CTV. It just is what it is. For Chandler, hey, let, let's put him up against Faziz, Fazeev. If not, Matush Gamrot. And uh, we can see a little bit of grappling potentially in that. See if he can conserve himself a little bit. Not have to go balls to the wall. Um, But those would be fights that I'd love to see. But again, if Michael Chandler stuck to his wrestling a little bit, wasn't so extreme, he he definitely could have probably beat Justin Gaethje. He he probably could have beat Dustin Poirier. Like His wrestling ability, his takedowns are relentless. They're fucking... A lot of energy because he goes a little extra and wants to be a human highlight reel. But I don't think there's a lot of guys in this division that could stop him. Anyways, enough of that. Let's talk about the strawweight champion, Zhang Weili, with a second-round submission via rear naked choke over Carla Esparza. This was uh, a performance of the night, the main event getting performance of the night as well. Again, I think every finish should have got a bonus. They did it in London. But, uh, yeah, here we are. Man, um, Zhang is a fucking animal. Um, I, you know, I'm very pro-Rose. I think Rose should be the, the, the champion, and, and, you know, she's beaten Zhang. She'd beat her again, guaranteed, um, unless her coach told her not to do anything the whole fight. But I don't think there's anyone else that could beat this woman right now. She is so determined. You know, she has that explosion like Chandler does in the women's side of things. Uh, her striking... Her ground game's gotten a lot better. Her IQ, she is just so, like, if you're a coach and you're trying to teach someone how to fight, she's so textbook, right? So we talked about Chandler with the loopiness, Dustin with the straights. She's so technical everywhere. She takes things so seriously, and this was just a great performance. I mean, she really took it to Carla. Carla's tough. She's been in wars. She can grapple. Um, You know, Zong was able to defend. She was able to do some things of her own. And really pushed it to Carla and brought the fight to her as we expected and, and was able to get a, a rear naked choke that was a little bit easier than I thought it would be against Carla, to be honest. Uh, but it's going to be interesting to see what, you know, what she does next and uh, if, if anyone could stop her besides, I don't know if the, the UFC is going to be too eager to have her against Rose again. 
Uh, but this woman's the real fucking deal. She really is. Uh, she landed 42 total and 37 significant strikes with a submission attempt and a reversal. Carla had 19 total and six significant strikes, so she was outstruck quite a bit. She did have a reversal of her own and takedown uh, in four attempts, so not very high, you know, 25%. And uh, the, 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 the scrambles you get in women's fucking UFC are crazy, man. It's one woman's on top, reversal to the next. It's like three, four reversals of just like constant. No one's in control. Now someone's in control. I, I think that shit's great. And, it, you know, the flexibility and just the way that they can move is a lot different than a man. And as I'm now back in jujitsu and, and trying to relearn a lot of these things and, and learn some of the, a lot of things for the first time, I was like, man, I wish I could just scramble like that. Um, you know, gi jujitsu is such a different world and they can grab fucking everything and I'm not used to it yet, but, uh, it was fun. Women, women's UFC is fun, man. Uh, these high level fighters, it's really cool to see cause you just see things that you would never see in a man's fight. And these women are so good now, man. They are so good. Uh, Waylay is on a two fight winning streak. Uh, she has fought or defended the title in five of her last six fights. That's how high level she is. And that's what the UFC thinks of her. They love some Zong Waylay. Um, Carla, she has her six fight winning streak. And again, I talked about it before this fight. She doesn't get enough credit. That six fight winning streak was against very, very good fighters. So that does come to an end. She finishes the calendar year one and one recently married. Go enjoy it. You've done everything. You're the number one contender. You know, what's next for, for Carla? I would love to see her square up against Jessica Andrade, but that's another fucking killer, and that's a brutal situation. I'm really interested to see what Carla wants to do, but again, I think she should go enjoy her marriage a little bit, uh, be a newlywed, and just relax. You know, you've done so much for the sport, and uh, let's be honest. I mean, you're probably not fighting for a title again. Whereas Waylay, I think Amanda Lemos, she made the statement. She, she fucking got a great victory. And, and it's her time now because Waylay is really beat. And he, you know, I would rather see it be Rose, but I, I know that won't be the case. So Lamos is the pick for me. And, uh, you know, what's great about fighting is as good as Waylay is, Amanda has serious fucking power and she lands a shot. That could, that could be the difference in the fight. And she could shock the world. She, she shocked Marina Rodriguez. And uh, I think uh, Marina is really, really high level. Is she quite as high level as Waylay? It's pretty fucking close so uh limo you know she 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 has a chance that would be one hell of a fight and i'm sure that's what's going to be next then let's talk about the main event of the evening msg and i'm trying to think besides dustin and connor or nate and connor has there been a better storyline just to sell it on i'm in sales man this storyline you know, he skips the line. He fucks people up. He looks like a fucking assassin. Um, if I was in a room with Alex Pajeda and his job was to fuck me up, I am terrified. I am literally looking like Megan Anderson versus Nunez, ghost white, like the soul is coming out of my body. Uh, this guy's a savage, and I love that Izzy welcomes it. He knows it betters him as a fighter. He knows He knew that once Alex came in the UFC, got a couple wins, that they were going to fast track him. This is the fight to sell. And he put it to Alex, man. He, the high level fucking ability that, that Izzy put on display here was next level. I did not think Alex could go that hard that long in the fight. And, uh, 
Izzy had a great game plan. If Alex starts coming on, he gets momentum, clinch him up. He doesn't know how to clinch. His clinch was simple. Grab him, control him, turn him, put him against the cage. Now you can separate. Because the problem for Izzy is when Alex comes forward and you're up against the cage, you, you know, you have the cage behind you. You don't get to be as elusive. You don't get a, you know, Izzy still does. He's throwing fucking question mark kicks off the cage. I mean, the guy's a savage, but you're, you're not in as, as more of a, as much as elusive situation as you are with the center of the octagon. So um, I, I just thought that the, the skill was, was crazy. All the feints. I mean, he had Alex biting on, on shit, you know, Alex or Izzy throws a jab. He's fainting, right? He has a, a, a leg kick. They're going. And obviously these guys came from kickboxing. I don't think there's a fight that I've seen lately where guys were able to check kicks so cleanly. I mean, how fast they're whipping their shins out there, checking kicks. I, I mean, it was beautiful. Just the class. I mean, Alex obviously wasn't, you know, much of a grappler. You know, uh, in the clinch, you could tell he wasn't being in the right positions and letting Izzy kind of control him as the, the smaller fighter. But just the ability that this guy has. I mean, what can't he do? And for Izzy, I think he put on one of the best displays of mixed martial arts and a game plan in a long time. And even before the fight, the walkout of Alex, how sick that was. For me, I love the movie Saw, how they came in with the fucking Saw theme song. And he's like, yep, yeah, this is going to be a fucking nightmare. Um... I just loved it all. I was so fucking hyped. I was so sucked into the fucking fight. I haven't watched a big card like this by myself in a long time, and I was just zoned the fuck in. I was enjoying it, and again, I enjoyed it so much, I watched it back today. And uh, I just don't see a way that Izzy loses again. You know, there's going to be an automatic rematch. We've had a lot of moments this year where you, you, you fuck someone up, and the beauty of MMA, it takes one shot, right? Uh, Pieta really landed a nice shot in the fifth round and had his Rocky moment. Leon Edwards had his Rocky moment. I am so confident Kamaru Usman and Israel Adesanya will be the UFC champions after their next fight and will probably hold it again for a little while. It's hard to determine, and you know, there's a lot of fighters and the skills getting better and better. But Izzy looked better than he's ever been. He knew he was going to be pushed. He welcomed it, and he knew he wanted to grow. He'd probably been watching some fucking anime. Like, even he was doing eye shit and stuff to make Alex want to think he's looking this way, but really he's looking this way. Alex would throw this, boom, fucking, fucking head kick. Like, his twitch and, you know, instinct motion is insane. But why I think him and Usman, there's just different breeds of fighters. There's amazing athleticism fighters like a Michael Chandler. Maybe even a Pieta, because his fucking left hook can knock anybody out. It's so powerful. There's guys that have power. There's guys that have one skill that's just really completely dominant. Amanda or uh, Ronda Rousey with the armbar, right? Or judo armbar. No one could stop it until fucking Holly Holm pieced her up. Um, then there's guys that just have a championship style. GSP, John Jones, Israel Adesanya, Kamaro Usman. What do they have in common? They know how to spread their cardio and gas tank out through five rounds. They know how to pick their moments, and they know how to win rounds. They know how to be active. They know how to hit the right spots at the right time. And every time he needed to clinch, he clinched. Every time he needed to change something up, he's throwing leg kicks. He's checking leg kicks. I mean, there's just a beautiful display. I, I can't even speak to how high level that was. And uh, I am very confident he'll be the champion again. You know, uh, Alex had an opening. I think he really did conserve a lot of energy round four and why he wasn't as active to have one more push in round five. 
But Alex said, you know, it really was Glover in round five saying, hey, you have to fucking knock him out. Come forward. Find a way. You've done everything you need to do. This is your fight. Find, figure out a way to win. He came out early and rocked Izzy. You know, borderline early stoppage. Again, it was probably good that it got stopped when it did. It's just going to avoid health issues for Izzy and less shots taken. But, you know, he was still up on his feet. Even at the end, he immediately kind of protested like, yeah, you are fucked up, but they could have let it go. Maybe he found a way to fucking, let, you know, get in another clinch situation or, or grapple Pieta. Uh, when there's a guy that has had a reign like that, I like to see it go a little longer. But with that said, the motherfucking rematch is going to be the most hyped fight next year. And there's a lot of fights that could happen. I mean, are you fucking kidding me? That fight was insane. The rematch is going to be only better. It reminds me of Rocky versus the fucking Russian. They've already fought. Now they're training. They know each other's strengths. They've This is their, what did they fought? Three times. This will be the fourth time. Now MMA and all the different things. Pieta's probably going to work on clinching. Pieta's probably going to work more on grappling. What's Izzy going to add to the table? So, And at the end of round one, Izzy had him fucked up. He hit him, boom, hit him one more time. He literally did this and somehow chicken-legged and stood up. Literally, literally three more seconds, one more shot, that motherfucker's out. So uh, the UFC is a crazy sport. It only takes one shot, one moment with these high-level fighters. But goddamn that rematch. Can't wait. Can't wait. Now let's break it down by the numbers. Pieta landed 140 total, 91 of those strikes significant. Did have a takedown compared to Israel's 119 total, 86 significant with a takedown of his own, although four attempts. And that's one thing with Izzy. I think he learned, you know, he tried to get that high body lock and the clinch up to get the takedown on Alex. He even had a high single, lifted him up, probably exerted a lot of energy, couldn't quite get it. I think he thought coming in, getting him down would be a lot easier. And, you know, props. He's been training with Glover, man. Glover's a master with that. And obviously it rubbed off on Pieta a little bit. Um, but, uh, Alex is now on a seven fight winning streak. He's four and zero in the UFC for Israel. He suffers his first loss ever at middleweight. He's undefeated. He only went up to be champ champ and lost. And Pieta looks like he's light heavyweight, man. The fact that he could be that big. I mean, it took him down to the last five minutes to make weight with the extra time. I really don't know how hard that is. You know, is that going to affect him again, moving forward? Because what does Izzy do? It's like, do you put on a little weight? You, you know, I'm sure he likes the weight that he has. It keeps him fast. He's obviously faster than Pieta. Keeps him quick and agile. You know, I'm not sure. But golly, Pieta's so fucking big, man. Um, but yeah, he ends his three-fight winning streak. He is now the number one contender. And again, the automatic rematch is about to go down. The hype is real. Dana White, Sean Shelby, all these guys are fucking... So stoked. They're so hyped. And uh, I might have to fuck around and go to that, that rematch. That's for sure. Uh, but what a card. What a sport. What a fucking weekend. We got some more fights coming up. We got UFC Fight Night Vegas 65. Prelims starting early on ESPN Plus, 10 a.m. Pacific. And some fights that we won't break down, but fights I recommend checking out early. We have Vince Morales and Miles John. That should be a good scrap. And on the main card, Cody Brundage versus Rodolfo Vieira, Vieira. And I heard this fight might get pulled. Let's see if there's any updates.
Social media, you never know, though. Due to injury, Rodolfo Vieira has been removed from his middleweight bout with Cody Brundage. As a result, this bout has been removed from this weekend's card. Don't miss a moment, blah, blah, blah. So this fight is not happening. So I'm glad I'm not, I didn't spend the time to break it down. Uh, but uh, that won't be happening. So Miles, Johns, Vince Morales early. And we're going to start early in the prelims. We got Brady Bam Bam Heisted, the 23-year-old fighter with a 6-2 record, taking on Fernie Garcia, 30 years old with a 10-2 record. I really liked the showing from Brady in Ultimate Fighter. He has a good base. He's got good wrestling, good grappling. Only 23 years old. He looks to be a legit prospect. He beat some veterans in the house that I thought were pretty high level. When we look at it, he trains out of Sick Jitsu in Spokane. He's got Michael Chiesa um, and a bunch of studs there. And uh, I'm really excited to see what his future holds. He is obviously an Ultimate Fighter alum. He has a four-inch reach advantage. He is on a one-fight losing streak, which was Tariki Tercios, which uh, was the Ultimate Fighter finale. And he has a four-inch reach advantage, one-fight losing streak. Three of his six wins are via knockout, two of them via submission. So five of his eight wins have been via finish. Fernie is on a one-fight losing streak. He is a Dana White Contender Series and LFA alum. He is one and one in the UFC, and three of his 10 wins are via submission. So both men, new to the UFC, have suffered some early losses. So it's a big-time fight for them. Uh, they're in a very deep weight class. I think you saw with Nick Maximov getting released. You, you can only take so many L's. Uh, no matter how good you are, how close the fights are, you suffer an injury, whatever it is, it's a very talented weight class. The time is now. For that reason, I'm taking Bam Bam. I'm taking Brady Highstand. I'm putting them on my parlay. We marking that ish down, and we getting that bread. Moving on. We have... Uh, the fellow Ultimate Fighter finale, uh, finalist and champion, Ricky, pretty Ricky Tercios. Uh, I call him Tricky Ricky. Uh, he's 29 years old with a 12-3 and record, taking on Kevin Quicksand Nadivad, the 29-year-old fighter with a 9-3 and record. So again, Ricky, Ultimate Fighter alum, beat Brady in the finale. He's taking on Kevin, who hasn't tasted victory in the UFC yet and is also in desperate need of a win in the very good bantamweight division. Ricky trains out of Team Alpha Male. He's on a one-fight losing streak, and he is 1-1 one one in the UFC. Kevin is on a two-fight losing streak. Five of his nine wins are via knockout, and all three of his losses are also via knockout. A little reckless, maybe. He's an LFA alum, and he hasn't fought since April of 2021, so I'm sure he's been working on his craft. He's desperate need of a win. This is a huge, huge fight. Ricky, tricky Ricky, man. He's a wild man. Kevin's going to have to look to get the finish early. I think it's going to be interesting to see Kevin's improvement after the time off. This is really a back and forth fight. I am not putting this on the parlay, but I'm taking pretty Ricky Tercios for, for, for my pick. Then we have Jennifer Maya. 34 years old with a 19-9-1 record and the number eight next to her name, taking on Marina the Iron Lady Murrows, 31 years old with an 11-3 record and the number 15 next to her name. Again, this should be a fun one. Two women looking to climb back in the rankings. 
And for Maya to climb back to the top of the rankings, she fought some top-level people, has fallen down, but I think she's skillful enough to get back up there. Jennifer has a BJJ, Muay Thai, and boxing background. She trains out of the Shootbox Academy, and she has a black belt in BJJ and Muay Thai. She is a former Invicta alum and a champion. She had two successful title defenses there. She's on a two-fight losing streak, but fought against the killers such as Manon Firo and Caitlin Shukagian. I mean, basically title challengers. And five of her 19 wins are via submission, four via knockout. So nine of 19 via finish, which is very good for the division. Marina trains out of ATT, also known as American Top Team, if you didn't know. She is a master of sport in boxing and kickboxing. Her last two fights were performance of the night or fight of the night. She's been putting on a show. She's on a three-fight winning streak. Six of her 11 wins are via submission, and she does have a three-inch reach advantage. But ever since Maya has entered the UFC, man, she has faced killers only lost to the very best and, you know, put up some battles in those fights. I think she takes care of work here. She is the more well-rounded fighter. She's the underdog. I'm not always trying to pick underdogs, but I'm taking the dog. We're taking Jennifer Maya. We are putting her on our parlay. We're boosting those odds. We marking that ish down and we getting that bread. Moving on. We have Charles Inner G. Johnson. 31 years old with an 11 and 3 record, taking on Zagas Zako Zumagalov, 34 years old with a 14 and 7 record. And this is a fun one, man. Uh, this could be potentially fight of the night. We get an LFA stud who lost his UFC debut to Muhammad Makayev recently, and Charles Johnson. And he gets to, to take on a, a veteran and steady Zumagalov. Who is desperate for some positive momentum, man? I mean, he's faced just fucking killers and uh, up-and-comers, high-level prospects the past two years. When we look at it, Charles is on a one-fight losing streak. Five of his 11 wins are via knockout, three via submission, so eight of his 11 wins have been via, via finish. His only, losses in the L his only loss in the LFA was Brandon Royval, and we know how, how high-level raw dog is. He's got a three-and-a-half-inch reach advantage and a four-inch leg reach advantage. Zalgis is on a two-fight losing streak. He has lost four of his last five, and seven of his 14 wins are via knockout. Now, I knew Charles would put up a better fight against Mokayev. I, mean, I feel like that was just recently. Then the odds gave him credit for. I mean, he was like a minus 1,000 favorite. But now he is facing a true veteran flyweight who has fought very good competition, fought them well, battled durable, good everywhere, quick. And besides the Manel cop fight where he got knocked out early, he's challenged everyone that he fought, man. I like Zalgus everywhere. He isn't great at anything, but he's good everywhere. He's very durable. For that reason, I'm taking Zamagalov. I'm putting him on my parlay. We marking that ish down and we getting that bread. Is he another underdog? I think there's another underdog. We got some dogs. Ho, ho. Let's see. I'm going to make a fat freaking underdog parlay. You know what I mean? 
Always wait till Friday. Plus 135. We're taking the dog. We got him. We got Maya. Let's go. All right. So that's the prelims. Let's start in the main card. We got Jack Della Madalena, the 26-year-old fighter with a 12-2 and record, taking on Danny Hot Chocolate Roberts, 35 years old with an 18-6 and record. So here in the main card, we get the young up-and-comer who's on a hot fucking momentum train against a very savvy veteran. Jack is on a 12-fight winning streak. He is a Cage Warriors and Dana White Contender Series alum. He is 3-0 in the UFC, and 10 of his 12 wins are via knockout. Danny has a boxing background. He is a Southpaw fighter. He is a Cage Warriors alum. He is on a one-fight losing streak. Eight of his 18 wins are via knockout, five via submission. So 13 of his 18 fights are via finish, and three of his six losses are via knockout. He only knows how to finish or be finished. He ain't going to the judges' scorecards. I like the potential in Jack. There's a reason why he is favored here. I believe Danny is going to come in with a great game plan and push Jack better than most people think, but I'm not picking against the young prospect. I'm taking Madalena. We put him on that parlay. We marking that ish down and we getting that bread. Moving on. We have Andre Fialho, the 28-year-old fighter with a 16-5 and record, taking on Muslim King of Kung Fu Salikov, 38 years old with a 18-3 and record. Another interesting fight. Andre already has four fights this calendar year. Fucking savage. I remember at the early part of the year, he told Dana, I'm coming in. I'm coming active. Put me in in a couple weeks. Some real Chemayev shit. Andre's only 28. He's not even in his prime yet. Now, Muslim, you know, he has passed his prime at 38, barely. But he's looking to move up in the UFC after his loss against Li Jingliang. Andre has a boxing background. He is an orthodox fighter. He trains at a Killcliffe FC I'll bring this up a couple more times, but used to be Sanford, so fucking killers. Two of his last three fights have been performance of the night. He'd been putting on a show, making that bread. He is on a one-fight losing streak and is 2-2 two and two this calendar year and 2-2 two and two in the UFC overall. So four fights this year, first fights in the UFC. 13 of his 16 wins are via knockout. Three of his five losses via knockout to knock out or be knocked out. And he's been everywhere already. He's a PFL, Bellator, and LFA alum, and he does have a four-inch reach advantage in this fight. Now, Muslim has a sando and kickboxing background. He's a master of sport and wushu sanda. He has a blue belt in BJJ. He has a gold in the Beijing Olympics in men's sanda. He is on a one-fight losing streak. 12 of his 18 wins are via knockout, and two of his three losses are via submission. This is a really one, a tough one to pick. I think Andre is going to be a tough out from here on out in the UFC, but I believe Muslim is going to look to wrestle Andre, look to wrestle him early. I think that's going to work on Andre's cardio a little bit, help Muslim to victory, maybe even find a submission or knockout late after tiring him out. For that reason, let me confirm, I am, ooh, this is a pickup fight. It's not an underdog, but I'm taking Muslim. I'm putting them on my parlay. We marking that ish down and we getting that bread. Moving on. We get the quick turnaround scrap. 
We got Chase the Vanilla Gorilla Sherman, 32 years old with a 16 and 10 record, taking on Walda Salsa Boy Cortez Acosta, 31 years old with an undefeated 8 and 0 record. Now we just saw Waldo in the octagon a couple weeks ago. He took some gnarly leg kicks, man. Uh, he's fighting on a quick turnaround against another desperate fighter who hasn't won since 2020. Um, and that was against the fighter Waldo just defeated. So it's, it's, it's definitely interesting. Chase is an orthodox fighter. He trains at a Killcliffe FC. He has a purple belt in kickboxing, a blue belt in BJJ. He's recently been in and out of the UFC. He even fought in BKFC and became the champion. He's on a one-fight winning streak. He has an 8-inch reach advantage. 15 of his 16 wins are via knockout, and he is also a Titan FC alum. Now, Waldo has a boxing background. He's an LFA Dana White Contender Series and Bellator alum. Four of his eight wins are via knockout. And I was more impressed with Waldo's Dana White Contender Series fight than I was with his fight against um, Vandera a few weeks ago. He has solid striking. Obviously, he's a former boxer. He has some serious power, but so does Chase. Chase has a big reach advantage. Eight inches is some John Jones type shit. He's tougher than hell. He's scrappy, man. He's gritty. He likes to make it dirty. He's in need of a win. He's already been released from the UFC, took a short notice fight, got back. Now he's got to take an up-and-coming prospect. And he's going to have to do what I said Jared had to do. He's going to have to mix in some kicks, right? That obviously worked in the last fight. He's got that heavy boxing stance. Get some takedowns. If it's not a takedown, put him up against the cage. Grind him out. Wear him out like Israel tried to do. Pieta. Show him what MMA is about. This ain't boxing, young blood. I'm going to show you the MMA version. I think Chase finds a way. For that reason, I'm taking him. I'm putting him on my parlay. He is a plus 155 underdog. And we getting him to eat. I'm taking him. We marking that ish down. And we getting that bread. We have two more fights on the main card. We got Kennedy, the African Savage, Nchekwu. 30 years old with a 10-3 and record, taking on Jan the Hulk Kutalaba, 28 years old with a 16-8-1 record. You want to be talk, talk about being thrown to the wolves, man. That is exactly what Kutalaba's UFC career has been. And I always have to double-check when I see his name. He's only 28. With his UFC tenure, you would think he's 33. Kennedy's older than him, which is even more wild. He is a promising prospect, has some serious power as well. But Jan has a sambo, judo, kickboxing, and Greco-Roman wrestling background. You talk about styles, I mean, that's some good fucking backgrounds to have. He's an orthodox fighter. He trains out of the MMA factory. He won gold at the 2012 European Combat Sambo Championships. He's on a six-fight losing streak. 12 of his 16 wins are via knockout. Four of his eight losses via submission. And let's just quickly review his fucking opponents. I mean, this is crazy. This guy. Fucking dog, man. 28 years old. He's about to turn 29 in December. Johnny Walker L. Ryan Span L. Still very high-level competition. Beat Devin Clark. A draw against a very good Dustin Jacoby. Lost to Ankalaev twice. 
ran it back, beat Khalil Roundtree. We just saw what he did. Lost to Glover Teixeira, uh, beat Gazmurad, Antagulov, Henrique Da Silva, lost to Jared Cannonier, fucking stud, fight of the night. Uh, beat Jonathan Wilson, lost to Misha Serkinov in his first UFC bout. What a fucking run. He's got to get a win. You got to get that, that momentum going, right? It's, it's time. It's time. Meanwhile, though, Kennedy is no joke, right? He's a Dana White Contender Series alum. Two times. He didn't get it, came back, got it. He's also an LFA alum. He is on a one-fight winning streak. Seven of his ten wins are via knockout. He has an eight-inch reach advantage. Six-inch leg reach advantage. He's long. I don't know, man. This is tough. If this is just going to be a kickboxing fight, it's going to be interesting. Kennedy's long. He's got the leverage. He's got the power. He could use his length to his, to his advantage. But I believe Jan is going to look to wrestle Kennedy, do the typical grind him out a little bit, find a path to victory. And I just don't think Kennedy has fought the level of opponent that Jan has or Jan is. Jan's battle-tested, and if you keep coming like Jan, like the fucking Hulk has, you get better. You lose to tough people, you get better. He's not even in his fighting prime. I'm taking another dog. We're taking the Hulk. We're putting him on our parlay. We marking that ish down, and we getting that bread. Moving on to the main event of the evening. We got Derek the Black Beast Lewis, 37 years old with a uh, 26 and 10 record, and the number seven next to his name, taking on Sergey. The polar bear Spivak, 27 years old with a 14 and 3 record, and the number 12 next to his name. Now, I always say this is an interesting fight, but this is interesting because Derek Lewis loses here. He could potentially be in retirement. Sergey's been solid. He could wrestle, he's not just a heavyweight striker, and that really could be the difference in this fight, and really the difference in all of Lewis's fights. If Sergey clangs and bangs with the big dog, I'm going to go with the Black Beast. If he looks to take him down, tire him out, he'll find a, probably an easy path to victory. Obviously, I'm taking Spivak. When we break the fighters down, Derek is a blue belt in BJJ. He has the most knockout uh, knockouts in UFC history with 13 of them things. He's tied for the most finishes in UFC heavyweight division which is the 13 knockouts, tied with Frank Mir. A lot of submissions on his part. He needs one more. He might be chasing that. You never know. He had the 2018 comeback of the year against Alexander Volkov. It's crazy that was four years ago. He's on a two-fight losing streak. 21 of his 26 wins are via knockout. Seven of his 10 losses are also via knockout. He is a legacy FC alum and champion, RFA and Bellator alum as well. Sergey is an orthodox fighter. He's an Eagles fighting alum. He's on a two-fight winning streak. Seven of his 15 wins are via knockout, six via submission. So 13 of his 15 via finish. And two of his three losses are via knockout. Now, Lewis has shown if you do wrestle, he can catch you on your way in. He can put your lights out, a little uppercut action. I doubt that's going to be the case. The last time that happened was against a very, very good, not just wrestler, but all-around heavyweight in Curtis Blades. That was early last year in 2021. 
Sometimes Derek comes in. He puts in great training camps. He has a fire under him. You could see that desire. And sometimes he doesn't. He's made money. He's probably not fighting for a title again. A win here doesn't really put him, you know, what does it do for him? So what is he fighting for? I, w I would love to know what his desire, his passion is. I know he's a family man. He's doing his thing. But Spivak's young. He's got that fire. He's not even in his prime. He's trying to make a name for himself. A name like Derek Lewis on your record does wonders. I've gone back and forth. Originally, I wanted Lewis. I broke it down. I'm going with the polar bear, but I'm avoiding it in my parlay because Lewis has got some dynamite in his hands, and he's a black beast for a reason. But hey, fun little card, little early Saturday action. I'll, I'll, I'll post my stuff after the weigh-ins on Friday. Check it out at podcast or yeah at podcast buckets on Twitter. But next week it's Thanksgiving. No UFC. Everyone deserves the holiday. The weekend after, first weekend in December. Crazy. Living in the desert, you forget the seasons. Uh, it's in Orlando. No more Apex. We get Stephen Wonderboy. Thompson, Kevin, Big Mouth, Holland. What a fucking main event. Mr. Retirement Holland, or a.k.a. I got paid Holland. 7 p.m. Pacific main card start. Typical pay-per-view time on ESPN. That's episode 109. We out here, new microphones. We doing it. Rebranding coming soon. I'm going to a Suns game, Suns Warriors. Little playoff rematch. I'm out of here. Go Grizz. See you guys next week.